I received a lot of congratulatory notes and Mazel Tov emails on the Atlanta Braves being victorious in this year's World Series. And a lot of people asked, how are you going to tie this into the drusha this Shabbos? Despite the great challenges and the fact that many people here actually don't care at all about baseball, and those who do care harbor great resentment of the Braves from all the years that they pummeled the Expos when they were here, there is one thought that I think is really worth sharing. And even though it sounds like I'm talking about baseball, it's really applicable to so many aspects of our life. In, in baseball, like most of the uh, major sports, there's something called a trade deadline. This is the last day of the year that you can make a trade and accept on your team new players who can play for the playoffs for the rest of the year. And as teams approach the trade deadline, they have to make an assessment of how they're doing. They have to assess whether or not they're what's called buyers or sellers. Teams that are buyers means that they view themselves as good, as having potential to go deep into the playoffs, perhaps actually win the championship. They're just missing a few pieces. And so it's worth it to invest in trading for a few new additional players who can push them over the edge. Teams that are sellers have come to the conclusion they're finished. They're not going to do anything this year. They're not good enough. But they still have all of these high-priced players on their roster that are not going to help them because they can't win this year. So they get rid of some of their higher-priced players and save themselves the money. What's the commodity that's being traded always? That's always the young prospects. A team that's buying, that wants to get those older veterans from other teams, are willing to give up their young prospects because the young prospects can't help them now. They're not developed. They're not ready. But we'll give them up. We'll give up our future in order to be able to get the pieces that we need to win now. Whereas the sellers are looking at their team now and they're like, we can't do anything with these guys. Let's get rid of some of these higher priced players and get young prospects in return. And so every team assesses, do we go all in now for the present, giving up our future for what we could do now? Or does the team realize there is no present now? Let's at least buy or get what we can for the future. The Braves story, which we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about, was at the midpoint of the season, they were totally mediocre. They had even gone 16 consecutive games, win one, lose one, win one, lose one, 16 straight like that. They were at 500, an even record. Sometimes they were below 500 for almost the majority of the year. And then... Right at, a little bit past the midway point, their best player got hurt. So they already suffered many injuries and they were middling around and uh, mediocrity. And when the best player went down, everyone in the league assumed they were going to fold up, sell off their better players, get some prospects for the future and call it a season. Everyone in baseball felt that except for their GM who did quite an astounding and bold move, a fellow by the name of Alex Antopoulos, who went ahead and started trading four players to add to the roster. He believed in his unit. And two amazing things happened. Number one, all of the players who have since been interviewed, all of them have said that when their best player went down, they all assumed the season was over. They also assumed the season was over. They all assumed that they were going to be traded. All of the better players were going to be broken up and sent all over the place. And the whole vibe in the in the locker room was, uh, whatever, we know it's over. And then he started trading for players and he started adding pieces. And they all said, we were like looking around and saying, what, what's he doing? He still thinks we can win this year. And that changed the entire attitude. One of the greatest gifts we can, we can give someone else, and this is so applicable to us as parents, uh, as friends, as spouses, when you believe in someone else and you show it to them, you don't just say empty words. Actions 
and you demonstrate, I believe you can do this. When he did that, when he started trading and adding pieces to the team, when they all thought they were done, they all looked around and they said, our boss still thinks we can win. Hey, we can do this. And it was the faith that he had in them that perked everybody up and gave them the sense of purpose of, hey, we can do that. And that is a tremendous power that we hold in our hands. Again, parents, spouses, friends, colleagues, we can believe in those around us. Even if everyone else says that person can't, won't succeed, we have the ability to tell them that they can. The second amazing thing that happened, besides for the fact that all of his trades were successful, is the idea that when everyone around him said, you're finished, you're done, he went against the grain in the assessment of where the team was. And this aspect of present versus future, where are you and how should you act, he had the ability to buck the trend of what everyone else was telling him. We read this morning, Yaakov and Esav, twins, Rivka can't figure out what's going on in her womb. It's it's Vayitzro Tzitzua Banim Bekirba. They're agitating within her. Something is strange and something is odd. And she goes to seek out Hashem to understand it. And Rashi tells us two things that gave her cause to believe that something was off. Number one, Rashi says a famous medrash that when she passed the base medrash, a shul, Yaakov was trying to get out to learn. And when she passed the house of idolatry, Esav was trying to get out. And it was strange. But then Rashi says a second interpretation. They were fighting over shte olamos. They were fighting over the two worlds, olam hazeh, this world, and olam haba, the next world. And those two are fundamentally at odds with each other. This world is a world of money, a world of power, a world of physical pleasures, a world of everything is in the here and in the now. And the next world, olam haba, is something that we can't feel, we can't touch, we can't see. It's a world of spiritual bliss. It's a world of closeness to Hashem. It's a world of eternity. It's a world in which we have to work hard in this world in order to be able to attain and achieve that next world. And they were fighting, which one do you want? And the Medrash says, Esav said, I'll take this world. This world is mine. You, Yaakov, you can have the next world. And that manifests itself in the very next story the Torah tells us when Esav comes home from the field and he's starving and famished and Yaakov has cooked a lentil soup and Esav says, I want that, I'm hungry. And Yaakov says, but you have to sell me the rights to the firstborn, which is going to be something which will manifest itself hundreds of years later in the Beis Hamikdash. Who's going to serve? Who's going to have this place of the spiritual leadership of the Jewish people? And Esav looks at a bowl of soup in front of him and some rights of firstborn which are going to manifest itself much later and says, I'll take the soup right now. And Yaakov willingly gives up that which he has now, buying the rights to the future of what's going to be later on. And this is the nature of what it means to be a Jew. It means to be able to sacrifice and give up on the here and now of this world to prepare ourselves for the world to come. And we do this every single time we're in shul and we're keeping Shabbos. By definition, all of our colleagues at work are doing things to further their careers. And we're willing to give up on all of those things. The way we spend our money on our schools, on our shuls, on our Jewish institutions, the things that we invest in are next world Focus. The idea that we give money to tzedakah, the concept of taking our money and not getting anything in return for it right now, but investing in eternity. All of these things are things we already do, which say and demonstrate, I'm willing to give up on this world. I'm interested in the next world. And despite the fact that sometimes the entire world says to us, you have your assessment wrong. It's all about the here and now. 
Just like sometimes the team can say, almost in the opposite way, there in the Braves case, in which he was investing in the present when the whole world told him to invest in the future. That's what we do. We invest in the future when the whole world looks at us and says, no, 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 no. It's all about the here and now. Invest what's here in front of you. We say, we live towards the future. The mission of Perkei Avo says, Prepare yourself in the antechamber to enter into the ballroom of eternity. In this world we work, we have eyes to eternity. And whatever that costs us now, that's really what it's about. But there's one other important aspect that Rabbi Yisrael Shimon Kasnelitz presents from his father, Mordechai Slanim, uh, playing out this idea that Yaakov said, okay, Esav, you have this world, I'll take the next world. He plays out a beautiful story. Uh, of what that must have looked like. Because Yaakov gave up this world. He says, it's not my place. I'm really focused on the next world. Except one day, Esau came by Yaakov's house and he saw that Yaakov was having a huge feast, a big party, beautiful, great food and meat and wine. And Esau says, hey, hey, this is my world. What are you doing like this? Yaakov says, oh, it's Shabbos today. This isn't Olam Hazeh. This is a taste. It's a me'ain of Olam Haba, a little bit of the next world. I am bringing the spirituality in. Asa says, wait a minute. This, how, how many days a week? Once, once a week. Once a week, Asa says, oh, okay. Except Asa comes by a few weeks later on a Tuesday night. And again, Yaakov has a huge feast. He's got meat and wine and all kinds of delicacies. And Asa says, Yaakov, it's Tuesday night. They're stealing from my world. Yours is the next, not this world. Yaakov says, eh, it's Pesach tonight. It's Shavuos tonight. It's Sukkot tonight. Hey, so what's this? Yantiv. How many days? Well, this and Yantiv and Yantiv. That's a lot of days of Yantiv. No wonder why you don't have anything in Olam Hazeh. How could you possibly make any world, any money with all this, all this Yantiv? Yaakov says, I know. But these days of Yantiv are also ma. It's, it's Olam Habo, but it's in Olam Hazeh. Esav says, fine. I'll give you that too. Except a couple weeks later, he shows up on a random day. And once again, there's another feast, all sorts of cars in the driveway, a big party. Esau says, Yaakov, I went through the calendar. It's not Shabbos, it's not Yantiv. This is my world you're stealing. You can't, what are you doing? Yaakov says, ah, Esau, I just finished Mesechah's Bavakama. I'm making a seum. You want to join? The Jew looks to the next world. Everything we do is preparing for Olam Haba. But we have the ability, when we bring in spirituality into our world, when we bring into our Shabbos table, to our Yantiv table, to our learning Torah, and we celebrate our accomplishments, we bring in a piece, a taste of the next world into this world that we're in right now. But that is our goal. We have chosen descendants, the heirs of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's all about the Olam Haba, the next world that is of interest to us. And it doesn't matter that the whole world says to us, no, focus on what's here and now in front of you. It's not about the money. It's not about the luxuries. It's not about the pleasures. It's about how can we grow spiritually and prepare ourselves for the eternal world to come.